Racial injustice is a scourge on this nation, and the black community has felt it for generations. We have an obligation to do something about it. Whether it's canceling student debt, increasing the minimum wage, or investing in black-owned businesses, the black community deserves so much better. I'm Nina Turner, and I'm running for Congress to do something about it. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, July the 12th, 2021. On this edition of the Politocrat, racism comes home, but it never really left England. That is the focus of this edition of the Politocrat, and I do not think you will want to miss this. Coming up next. There are days, this is one of them, when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. How precisely are you going to reconcile yourself to your situation here and how you're going to communicate to the vast, heedless, unthinking, cruel white majority that you are here. I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the death of the heart which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. I had basis on their conduct, not on what they say. And this means that they have become in themselves moral monsters. That was James Baldwin in 1963, speaking to Kenneth Clark, Dr. Kenneth Clark, very well-known social scientist and historian who did the famous doll experiments in the late 1950s into the 1960s. He hosted a program on American television where he invited Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King, and James Baldwin on the television in 1963. And what you just heard there was a portion of the appearance uh, from James Baldwin when he was on the program and that was reprised in Raoul Peck's documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, from 2016. By the way, I Am Not Your Negro is on Netflix right now. It's been on Netflix for a little while. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I don't think you should postpone watching it if you haven't already. I start with that because I think this is true of where we are in this planet, on this planet, not just in the United States, but also in England, where I am from, where I was born and raised and grew up, England. And as someone once said, who are bigger racists than the English? And can't say that I disagree with whoever said that, and I forgot who it was. The 
place that I am from had people in it who colonized over three-fifths of the entire planet. Australia, the African continent, much of that. Not to mention India. Not to mention, I mean, the United States before it was the United States. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on. The Caribbean. I can go on and on and on. Three-fifths of the globe. And once called Great Britain. I don't know what would be so great about a country that would colonize and subjugate and enslave three-fifths of the planet. I don't know what's so great about that. Can you tell me? I don't know what's so great about subjugating whole groups and racial backgrounds and keeping them in bondage. What's so great about that? So, I want to start with that angle because I would like you to read a book. Now, if you are someone who regularly listens to this podcast, and I thank you for doing so, and I thank you for listening to this episode because I think this episode is a really important one, if I may say so, somewhat self-reverentially, uh, but but really honestly, not even to just be reverential or Anything. I think this is an important episode because I believe in context. I believe in language. I believe in scrutinizing language, as you know, if you're a regular listener to me here. And thank you again for your time. And I believe in context. I believe that history is important. I believe it is critical. I, th- I believe that history is continuous. It is continuous. What happened previously informs what is going on right this second. As James Baldwin once said, if you do not know what's gone on before you, you do not know what is going on around you. And he was right. But I want to start off by recommending a book to you. And the book is called Empire Land. E-M-P-I-R-E. Land. L-A-N-D. Empire Land. How Imperialism Has Shaped Modern Britain. By Safnam Sangera. The first name of the author, S as in Sam, A-T-H, N as in North, A-M as in Marrow. Last name is S as in Sam, A-N as in North, G-H-E-R as in Rich, A as in Apple. Safnam Sangera. And he wrote this book that you have to read. Called Empire Land. This book goes a long way toward providing context for what's going on now. I'm actually providing context in some way to what happened yesterday, not on the football field, but off it, with the racist fans, the white fans who went into overdrive, overdrive on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and and Snapchat and everywhere else, and also went on overdrive at Wembley Stadium. Thugs and racists running amok, attacking black people, attacking any kinds of people, some white people too, for that matter, kicking them and, you know, there's one uh, Asian brother, and then when I say Asian, I'm talking about people from Pakistan and India and Bangladesh. 
that that that's who I'm speaking of. I'm not speaking of people from China or South uh, South Korea or Viet Vietnam or Indonesia, anything like that. I'm talking about people from Bangladesh, from India, from Pakistan, Bangalore, etc., etc., etc. And you saw people being from those places, or at least presumably having some background there, being kicked in the head. I shared some video of this, and I warned people it's graphic, and it, it may be um, disturbing for you to view, and it was, it was. And there were no stewards to deal with it, they were overmatched. I guarantee you, if that was a Wembley Stadium hosting a Black Lives Matter event, they would have had stewards from up and down the country, from Land's End to John O'Groats, packed into that stadium of 90,000, 90,000 capacity to ensure that everything went off without a hitch. But when it is white males, predominantly, because it was overwhelmingly, I saw one or two black faces and one or two Asian faces, you know, but it was 99% white male. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, this is, again, the issue that we've seen over and over again in England. And I'm not even going to talk about here in the U.S. We know very well that that happened in the terrorist attack at the beginning of this year here. And what I saw yesterday reminded me of that terrorist attack, especially on the steps of Wembley Stadium. That's what it reminded me of. And I just flashed back six months to the U.S. Capitol building here in the United States, in Washington, D.C. All we saw yesterday was what we've seen so often in England, where white men are allowed to commit acts of violence and, for the most part, get away with it, although there were at least 86 arrests at last count that I am aware of from the Metropolitan Police. But the fact is that they were allowed to do that before anything happened. And when there was predominantly white women at a rally and vigil for Sarah Everard back in, what was it, March or April of this year, 2021? Forget about it. The police swarmed them. The, the police behaved like the hooligans did yesterday, back in March or in April. And they bum-rushed these peaceful women, white women predominantly, who were just at a candlelight vigil. Arresting them and twisting the handcuffs around behind their backs, around their wrists. I mean, again, that's what happens to women. That's what happens to white women in London, in South London at Clapham Common, which is where um, the vigil took place. And that was not far from where Sarah Everard was abducted in March of this year by a police officer who has now since pled guilty to abduction, to rape, and to murder. He will be sentenced at the end of September. Why he's getting two and a half months plus of freedom, I do not know. But you see, it's part of something that I do know that I can say I think I know the answer to because it's a system. And I'm going to get into that in a few short moments. But I do want to say that what we've got here is a clear double standard and also this white male aggression and violence that runs rampant through England, whether it's on the football terraces, whether it's outside the stadia or stadium, whether it is in tube stations, 
whether it is on the streets, whether it is what we saw yesterday in Leicester Square, in the West End area, destroying the place. And you know, one thing they always say here in the United States, why are you destroying your own neighborhood? When they talk about black folk and the social unrest that happens here and the uprisings, and we tell you, well, it's not so much that we're destroying our own places. We don't have control of these places to destroy them because they're not ours. We don't own them. Sure, there may be a few black businesses here and there, but we don't own these spaces. We rent them, number one. And number two, we're being pushed out of them. And you hear that reaction from some people, and many people, some people black, some people white, telling you, why are they destroying their own neighborhood? You know what? I didn't hear that yesterday, though. Whether these people are for the West End or not, and I granted, guaranteed, most of them are not. But nobody said anything about, well, you're destroying your own places. You're destroying London. Shame on you. I didn't hear any of that talk anywhere. I scoured English media, and I didn't hear a word. You had these white men yesterday throwing glass bottles from balconies, from streets, from vehicles. Never mind the fact that it was a packed street. Never mind the fact that people were just walking up and down Glass bottles were flying through the air with the greatest of ease. People were drunk. People weren't drunk. People were savages. All of them were savages. Yes, I'm going to generalize. Because anybody throwing glass bottles around is a savage. And what you saw yesterday was absolutely inexcusable and disgusting. And don't talk about alcohol because the alcohol isn't the difference here. I did mention that some of these people were drunk, but it only brings out who they really are as people. It wasn't drink that was the reason. It was you being who you are in the first place before the alcohol ever went into your bloodstream. Because there's lots of people who drink, but they don't all get around and throw glass bottles at each other and do all these stupid things. In England, we do something, I think, so arrogant, right? We call boys yobs. The people who do all this violence over there, instead of calling them savages, we call them yobs. Oh, they're yobs. Oh, they're yobs, are you? Are you yobs? Yobs of, yob is obviously boy backwards, right? It's the word boy backwards. Yob. Oh, we call them yobs. Instead of calling them violent thugs, Instead of calling them savages, instead of calling them animals, and I know some people don't like that because they don't want to compare animals, that's not nice. But instead of calling them anything, we call them yobs. Ew, they're yobs. They can't call them savages. We can't call them that. Why not? That's what they are. Savages. That's what they say about us. Ooh, those dark people. They're savages. It's what the whole culture says about us. You go look at Tarzan. Go look at all these movies. 
Whole freaking culture says that. Again, systems. I'm going to get to that in a bit. But this is what happens. This, and I've talked about this before, dear listener, many times. About how a culture explains away white violence, particularly white male violence, and how a culture allows it to happen unimpeded. Whether it's in sports like the NHL, National Hockey League, whether it is in things like WWC, WCW, which I know is wrestling entertainment, but the point is made. Okay, not the best analogy, but I'll tell you the National Hockey League is a pretty damn good example. NBA, if two brothers are fighting, ooh, we're going to throw them out the game. Ooh, dear. If they throw so much as a punch in each other's direction, they're gone. But in the NHL ice, oh, you can throw as many punches as you want. The referees will just sit there and watch your fight until you get tired throwing punches. White male aggression plays out on the grand stage and everybody cheers. They're banging the plexiglass around ringside. They're loving it. Gladiator sport, they love that. But, ooh, those black people, they can't do that. Ooh. And I understand, I'm not advocating for anybody to be violent. But what I am saying is, is that systems, there's that word again, allow for white men to, with impunity, be violent. Whether it's police, whether it is situations in sports, or anything else. Whether it's attacking women, whether it's a cop, like I told you, the Metropolitan Police Officer, Wayne Wayne Cousins, who abducted, raped, and murdered Sarah Everard. Whether it's the cop, the white male cop that was convicted in in the the West Mercia Police of kicking Dalian Atkinson, a, a black man who used to play football professionally for Aston Villa, among other teams. I mean, this this goes on and on and on. Whether it's the police again killing Mark Duggan. And there's been so many other cases of the Met Police doing these things to black people. And, and white police overwhelmingly. And it's, again, this license to do this. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Jimmy Savile. I can go on and on and on. All the stuff he did to little boys and to little girls. And for those of you in England, you know who Jimmy Savile is. If you are of a certain age, you know who Jimmy Savile is. Top of the pops, cigar in his mouth. <laughs> ah, that's a terrible impression of him. But really, I don't need to recreate how disgusting a sound he made. Jim will fix it. Well, that was not the word. Fix was not the word that I would use for Jimmy, Jimmy Savile, put it that way. If you, you can imagine what I'm talking about here. It's disgusting. But my whole thing is, is that whether it's the Yorkshire Bloomin' Ripper, whether it's any of these people, there's been a long legacy of white male violence in England. Whether it's in enslavement against black people, it, there's been a long legacy in history. And so when I saw what I saw yesterday, and I talked about it briefly in yesterday's episode, I, I you know, I said, this is something that's been going on for so long, and there's nothing being done about it. This happened earlier this year at a stadium stadium. 
in England. And I talked about it briefly yesterday. Manchester United against Liverpool in the Premier League. I think it was back in April. And what happened was, March or April, I think it was April. And what happened was, at Old Trafford in Manchester, where the game was scheduled to be played on a Sunday, there were a few hundred people who bum-rushed the stadium, broke in, breached the security wall, a gate, and got in. How come these white boys are able to get in to these stadia? How come? They get into the stadia easily. And there's no security. It's lax. Why? Why? How come you had no security for Manchester United against Liverpool? It's only the biggest blooming match on the Premier League calendar in England. It's only the biggest blooming uh, rivalry in all of England. Uh, some people might say Birmingham against Aston Villa. Some other people might say Arsenal Tottenham. Some other people might say Brighton Crystal Palace. And that's not really as big a rivalry as Liverpool Manchester United. But hey, you know, it's a rivalry. It's a pretty intense derby, I should say, relatively speaking. But Liverpool Manchester United is the biggest thing on the calendar in Premier League football. Has been for a long time, even before it's called the Premier League. And to think that with those two clubs and the fan sets of each club not liking each other particularly very much, particularly the fans, to allow for lax security at such a venue like Old Trafford is absolutely negligent at best. And it reminds me of, again, January 6th. Lack security. Let these white boys do whatever they want. And this is the same thing I keep talking about. And it happened again that day at Old Trafford. They canceled the game. They postponed the game. Which is ridiculous. These white males absolutely stopped a game from being played. And you had the security non-existent. Same thing yesterday at Wembley Stadium. Non-existent. You cannot keep giving a free pass to savages. Because you know what savages do when you continue to give them a free pass? You know the answer to that question. They turn around. And they eat you alive. Welcome back. So that was the savage part. The violent underpinnings. And as you may recall, I teased the word system, system, system a few times during that first uh, 20 minute part, if you will. And you're going to see or hear why that word comes up as it did and why I'm going to link it to this second and final part of this podcast episode. And it's something that's very important, I think, and it, I, it is very important. The missed penalties for England yesterday. It was heartbreaking to watch. It was a gut-wrenching way to be defeated. 
But this defeat happened before those penalties were even taken, as I said yesterday on this podcast episode that I did regarding the game, more so the game. England lost this game before they got to penalties. Italy were better than them throughout the second half. Even after the goal was scored by England to take the 1-0 lead, Italy controlled most of the rest of the game after the half-hour mark of that first half, and they continued to do so with a few adjustments at halftime into the second half and beyond. They totally controlled the tempo of the game, as I said yesterday, the ball movement and the tempo at large, as I said, and also the um, possession. England had no ideas, no freshness, no ingenuity at all. They were holding on for dear life. And when Italy equalized in the 67th minute of that game yesterday, the English heads dropped. Dropped. So England had already lost the game. And I think, I submit to you, dear listener, without going back over the episode yesterday too much, because I will nix it in after this uh, couple of moments here. When that goal was scored by Italy, that's when the game was lost for England. They did not react well. They did not show any initiative to do anything. And the fact that Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho were not brought onto that pitch until 119 minutes into the blooming game is a huge problem that I only casually brought up yesterday. But that is the end of my analysis again of what I talked about yesterday. And that is just the beginning of where I'm going to go next. Because the penalties were a test. Not a test of whether or not Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, and Bakayo Saka would score or not. But it was a test of whether or not to those white Englanders who behaved in such violent and racist ways, it was a test or not of whether they would think that these three young brothers were English. Did you pass your English test, Mr. Rashford, said the racist white Englander. Did you pass your English test, Mr. Sancho, said the racist white Englander. And did you pass your English test? Mr. Saka said the racist white Englander. You didn't pass your English test and I'm going to now call you names. I'm going to now say death threats to you. I'm going to now torment you, said the white racist Englander. And that is what happened. Because a system, note that word, I'm going to use it a lot here, is directly connected to the people who do the racist things they do. And we do ourselves no matter which society that we are speaking of, a grotesque disservice when we pretend, as I have spoken about before, that the individuals who act are just that, just individuals, they're just disconnected and they just act, 
They're not connected to anything. There's no system that gives them the permission to. There's no prime minister like Boris Johnson who didn't spend a good decade plus writing racist things in newspaper columns. There's no report published by a Tory government under Boris Johnson that says there's no institutionalized racism in England. No, there's not an institutionally racist country here. There's no Brexit that guides all of this too. And there's no racist police. And there's no media that has hardly any black people in it, controlling it. And there's no football association that barely has any black people in it behind the scenes. And there's there's hardly, there's no, you know, they're all, those things don't have any connection at all. As you can tell, I am being facetious. So when all the racist abuse came to three young brothers, you had the media in the in the United Kingdom, in England specifically, all talking about all oh, these racist evil people. And none of these media people ever talked about the systems that govern the racist behavior, that undergirds what these racist thugs did and these racist cowards. And there was no examination of why would a system that was supposedly working in the interest of white people absolutely betray them And what connection did that system have? And why are these white people behaving in this racist manner? No, I'm not looking to justify it. Oh, God, no, please. Dear listener, you cannot. You cannot put me in that category. What I'm saying is that there is a connection. And half of these people who are doing all this racist stuff, evil things, have a deficit within themselves to begin with. They're low, way low. They won't admit that the system that's supposed to work in their favor has totally screwed them and doesn't give two rat fucks about them. Excuse my language. And the other thing that is so clear is because England is also full of class war and the classist society still exists there, These people pretend that the richer white people in England aren't laughing all the way to the bank at them and at their expense. I didn't see any rich people committing violence yesterday. Although, when you think about it, systemic structures that benefit the rich, of course, are created by the rich, commit mass acts of violence every day all over the country in England and anywhere else for that matter. Systemic violence doesn't have to actually result in physical injury. It results in psychological injury, in economic injury. Ah, but they didn't teach you that in high school. Systems can do extremely violent things to people without leaving a scratch on their body. Think about that for a second. 
What provokes a 52-year-old white male to toss bottles in the air? And he's the father of two or three. You have a system that is a complete cesspool. And as James Baldwin said, just look at what this white man's system has done. Look at it. I don't want to be anywhere near that. I don't want to be a part of it at all. James Baldwin said this. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's... This is James Baldwin. I'm not saying this. This is James Baldwin saying it. His words. Look at, look at in his hands. Look at what this planet is. Friggin' disaster. Do you think we could do better? Or well, we have done better. The African continent was a damn sight better off before you had people from England who are white men, rich white men, coming in and invading it. And colonizing and being violent and enslaving black people. Come on, are you kidding? And just think what we are doing as black people. We are thriving. We're not just surviving. We're thriving. In a land that isn't ours. We're thriving. And we're doing a damn sight well. Even with all the things that show that we are not doing well in a lot of areas. We're doing damn well in many others. We pioneer. We innovate. We do these things against all the odds. Against, with all the oppression and the enslavement. But the people who supposedly are the ones who have the white privilege and who benefit from the oppressive system that oppresses black people, they're throwing bottles and rocks in the streets of London, throwing rocks and bottles. 50-year-old boys with their sons in tow, shouting end this and end that and throwing bottles and bricks. Reenacting Brixton as if it is 1983. Or reenacting the Battle of 1066 or something. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever the year. And it's just ridiculous. The system that works in their favor or says it does has them throwing the bottles and rocks and bricks. 50-something-year-old, 60-year-old. Really? And do you know, by the way, that in some education circles, it's white boys who are on the bottom rung? And there's no examination of a system failing. Them. But that's not the reason why you've got 50-plus-year-old racist white men throwing bottles and beating people up at random. Like they did yesterday at Wembley Stadium. You've got this racism. And England's failure to look at itself in the mirror. Even the people who claim that they want to uncover and want to have a dialogue. They can't bring themselves to be squarely honest. Oh, because I've, I've got to sit in the middle, you see. I can't be honest. I've got to sit in the middle. No, you don't. Because the middle is deadly. And sitting in the middle is consenting to the violence and the racism. So I don't know why broadcasters, 
talk show hosts, talk radio hosts in England, some of them, are absolutely abdicating their responsibility to educate people. I want to say something here. If any white people who are listening say that they are anti-racists, well, make sure that you are confronting your friends when they say something racist. Don't laugh it off. Don't sit there silently in horror. Open your mouth and say something. If your parents, if you still have your parents with you, in this world, that is, if you're fortunate enough to. If they say something racist, challenge them. Don't let it go unchallenged. And even if you don't call yourself an anti-racist and you're white, don't let this stuff go unchallenged. Don't laugh it off. Challenge it. It's the least you can do. And another thing I want to say. You have to be prepared to lose your friends over things like this. I've said this before here, so this is not new to those of you who listen regularly. You have to be willing to lose friends over this who are white. You have to be willing to lose those friendships because, you know, most white people apparently, well, not apparently, it's the truth, according to a survey done a few years back here in the United States at least, at least 85%, if not 90% or more, of white people's friends are white. And they'll have that one black friend or that one Asian friend. So it'd be more than well over 90%. But I want any white person listening to be prepared to lose friends over this when you challenge them. And I hope you will. Will you? Are you prepared to lose a friend over this? Because black folk have lost lives over this. They've lost their loved ones' lives, lives over racism. Will you be prepared to lose a friend? Would you be prepared to lose a friend? Not your life, like Heather Heyer sacrificed her life. Not your life, like Viola Luizzo sacrificed her life. Not your life, like those two white men in Portland a few years ago sacrificed their lives. Defending black people from attack. Two black women from attack. In Portland, in Oregon. But your friend. Can you, can you lose your friend? Can you absolutely say I'm done with the friendship? I think that's a much, much less substantial sacrifice, don't you? Compared to Viola Luisa being murdered. Compared to Heather Heyer being murdered. I think you could do that, can't you, in 2021, lose a racist friend of yours? I don't care how good the friendship's been. Are you able to do that? Would you be willing to do that? Same thing goes for parents. I don't care what, what the age of your parents are. Would you be willing to do that? To challenge your parents and say, nope. I'm not going to do this with you. If you're going to be like this, I'm done. Because that's what white people are going to have to do. 
If you say that you support black lives and black people and black institutions and the right for black people to not only stay alive, but thrive and live and have jobs and equal pay and, and have access to everything that white people have access to. Are you willing to lose your friends and disown your parents or your family members? Because Lord knows family members don't have any problem disowning some of you because they don't like the fact that you married somebody who has a different skin color than you. Or they don't like the fact that you have married someone who is the same gender as you are. And so they disown you, you see. And they say, I don't ever want to hear from you again. So if you know that that exists in this world, and it does, because I, and I'm sure you too, I know I personally know of people who have been shunned and made pariahs by their own blooming flesh and blood, by their own family members. I know at least one, if not two people, right now, who have been made pariahs because the the family said, "Oh, you're married some you've married someone of the same gender or you're in love with someone of the same gender. Get out of my house and don't come back." It happens. Happens all over the world. Maybe that has happened to you. But what I am saying here is, Lord knows that happens all the time. Are you prepared, if you're white listening to this, are you prepared to lose your friend or one of your loved ones or your parents over this? Because if you want a society to be, to be better, not great, but better, that is the sacrifice that you're going to have to make. And I'll tell you, for the most part, it's relatively painless. And heck, compared to Viola Luizo, Heather Heyer, and those two white men in Portland, Oregon. Heck, it ain't even a, a close call. It's lights. How much courage? Do you have? How much courage? Now I've spoken to people who say, oh, it's difficult. You know, white people who tell me, oh, it's difficult. I, I don't know. It's uncomfortable. Well, if it's uncomfortable for you to challenge them, think about how uncomfortable it is for black people to die at the hands of this system and these police and to lose a loved one. And you're trembling about having to confront your dad or your uncle or your grandmother or your mother or your spouse, your friend, who you've known for 27 years and who has been with you through thick and thin. How much are you willing to do? Because I'll say this to you. This should never be about you trying to make yourself look good. If you are a white person and you are doing these things to salve your so-called guilty conscience, then you're barking up the wrong tree and you, you are in the wrong line of work here. 
You've got to be doing this because you want a better world, not because you want to feel better about yourself. And not because you want to leaven any so-called white guilt. You're going to want to have to do this because you want future generations to be in better shape. Not because you selfishly want to absolve yourself of something. That's for confessional. This line of work requires something a little different. And that's the true test. Are you going to do this? Or will you just fob it off and say, well, I'll just throw some dollars here and there. But hey, I'm not really going to do anything about this. I'm going to punk out. It's easy to do nothing. But what isn't easy is confronting the people who you think are your friends. And anytime you hear racist things and you sit there and laugh at it or get uncomfortable but say nothing, then you're a part of it too. That makes you just the same as they are. No daylight between the two of you. And you know better. So I'll say this as one black person. I'm never going to speak for every black person. And what some may agree with what I'm about to say. So to the, to the black people listening, those of you who are black, who are listening to me right now, you may agree with me. I may be speaking for you, but I don't want to. I'm speaking for myself here. I don't want someone who is white to be ashamed. You're well, of course, entitled to the feelings that you have, as am I. But if you are ashamed, turn that being ashamed and that shame into challenging people in your community who are white and challenging family members who are white. That's what you should turn your shame into. Action. Action. That's what has to happen. Harry Belafonte said it so many times. This lays at the feet of the white community. And he said that back in 1963. It's almost 60 years ago. And still here we are. It's not good enough. The onus is not on black folk to do this. We've been dying for 500 years, 400 years, trying to end all of this evil and we're getting murdered in the process and I don't want to hear about not all anything well not all white people are the not all white people aren't doing enough that, that's the way I look at this in 2021 they're not doing enough and this can't be about well I want to feel better about myself. It's got to be, I want to feel better about the planet I'm living in. I want to feel better about the people who are being oppressed because I want to do everything I can to stand up against that. And the shifts are going to have to be longer and harder and more stressful. How much are you willing to sacrifice? Lord knows we've sacrificed too many. We've lost too many lives, too many opportunities, too many paychecks, 
Too many promotions. That's the tip of the iceberg. And this system doesn't want us here. And these people do not want us here. Why don't you ask Marcus Rashford or Jaden Sancho or Bakayo Saka? And again, I don't want to go to, well, not all of them won't be. Because not enough is being done. I don't want to hear about not all. I really don't. Because they are doing fuck all. I, I really, I have to say that. This isn't about you. This is about making this world better. And making yourself a better person. And that is as blunt and as plain as I can put it. And you have to be uncomfortable, as I've said many times. Because this is not about being comfortable. About solving and salving your guilty conscience. This is about doing things. Action. Action. Challenge the people in your community. Challenge them. Confront them on their races. That's what you have to do. This isn't a private little thing about your guilt. You cannot afford to be centering yourself in these times when you've got black folk out here dying like flies because you've got a system that's murdering them. They don't, I'm telling you, they don't want us here. They don't want those three brothers here. They don't want us in these neighborhoods. I've said this before. They don't want us looking at houses to buy. Because, oh, when the black person comes, oh, no, the house is off market. The white person comes, oh, no, come on in. They run us out of these neighborhoods. We're going to push you out to here. And then we're going to come back and reclaim the places that you had. As if we stole them. They don't want us here. Greenwood, 1921. They don't want us here. Burn the whole blooming black town to the ground. Murdered between 300 and 600 black people. Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Rosewood, 1923 in Florida. I can think of all the other race massacres. There's at least 100 of them. Here in the United States. The Teddy Boy riots in England, in London, in the 1950s, 1958. They don't want us here. I'm telling you. I'm not making that up. They don't want you here. They don't want you in their neighborhoods. They don't want you in the schools. They don't want you in these sports. They don't want you voting. They don't want you doing it. They don't want you anywhere, man. They dragged you over here and now they don't want you. Except for maybe to clean toilets. To have sex with? Oh, I'm sounding really brutal and harsh right now, aren't I? Examine this culture that you're in. This system that you're in. And ask yourself. Do you feel welcome here? If I'm wrong when I say they don't want us here. Then I ask you to think honestly. And ask yourself. 
Do you as a black person feel welcome here? And do you as a white person, if you're white, do you do enough to welcome black people? Do you invite them to your house? Do you have casual going outs with them? It doesn't have to be that you're in a relationship or that you're married. I'm just talking about on a friendly basis. Boris Johnson can just go to hell right now. I don't want to hear anything from Boris Johnson. I don't want to hear anything from Pretty Patel. I don't want to hear anything from Natalie Elphick. All of these people are disreputable. As is Dominic Swain. As is all these Nigel Farage. The lot of them. Didn't hear much from his ass. You have so many racist people in England. It is absolutely disgusting. But these are basically the inventors of racism. I say that without hesitation. Where do you think America got it from? Little England. The systems. The systems, the gears turn. The newsrooms are still white, overwhelmingly. The Premier League sidelines with the managers are still overwhelmingly white. There's only one black manager in the Premier League, and that's starting next month, Patrick Vieira, for Crystal Palace. Where are the black members of the boardrooms? Where are the black owners? When's there going to be a black manager of England men's team? The England's men's team. When is that going to happen? The men's national team. When are there going to be a black manager there? Half the players are black. And I wonder if a black manager would have put an ice-cold Marcus Rashford and an ice-cold Jaden Sancho at the penalty spot in a pressure Euro 2020 penalty shootout final. Would a black manager have done that, do you think? Maybe I'll leave you with that one to ponder. Gareth Southgate, the white manager, is a gentleman and shows sensitivity. But did he show sensitivity in that moment, putting two ice-cold players on the penalty spot? Or did he throw them as lambs to the slaughter? Because he himself, 25 years ago or so, suffered the very same fate. You know that Raheem Sterling got racist abuse anyway, despite the fact that he didn't take a penalty? Didn't surprise me. Did that surprise you? Do you know how hard it is for many people, some black, some brown, to support England and they are born and raised in England? Do you know how hard that is? For me, no, it's actually for me personally, I'll tell you, I don't find it hard. But there's lots of black and brown people in England who do find it hard to support England. And all the abuse that some of them get, many of them get, they put their England flags up and you got these white, racist ass, savage folks abusing them, 
You're not English. What are you doing with that flag? You've got some blooming nerve. What the hell's wrong with these people? Who died and made you the governor? Or the prime minister? It's It's just ridiculous. The most miserable people, people like this, who say these things, got no life, you got no freaking foundation, you're a failure and a misfit, you got nothing, and you're still, you're still failing. And then that's what the system does. It puts the most incompetent white men at the heart of them. Boris Johnson, Chris Grayling, failing Grayling, Matt Hancock, pathetic, incompetent, criminal. And you've got all these white men with these criminal acts of racism that they commit. You've got that Met police officer Indecent exposure, six cases of it. And what does the system do? Look the other way. Oh, looks the other way. No, we don't we don't know. It's a system. And without the system, these people would have probably not done what they did. And if they did do what they did without the system, well, you'd like to think they'd meet some kind of swift resolution. But the issue here is responsibility. And too many white men, whether in England, whether here in the US or anywhere else, do not exercise responsibility for anything because the system tells them it's okay to act out, to be violent, to be racist, to be misogynist. Islamophobic. And then it hires those same people into positions, whether it's sports writers in the US, Skip Bayless, whether it's sports reporters, Rachel Nichols at ESPN talking about diversity hires, Skip Bayless going after black athletes, racist. You'll find these people all over the place. They're part of a system. That is what you should be talking about here. In addition to these racist thugs, you need to be talking about the system that approves of them, the newspapers that applaud them and approves of them, the Daily Telegraph, the Daily Mail, the Daily Express. That's what you need to be focusing on, the institutions that undergird these individuals' behavior and their racism. And all the venom directed at Meghan Markle. Oh, like that didn't happen in England. Oh, and the royal family. Oh, Prince William. Oh, we we deplore this horrible racism. And, you know, the royal family is one of the most racist freaking institutions England has ever had. And where do they steal their freaking crown jewels from? I wonder. A-F-R-I-C-A. But don't tell anybody I said that. Oh, uh, yeah, like this this never happened. Oh, Meghan Markle and oh Archie might be a little bit brown, a little bit dark, you know. 
I'm not sure about him. I wonder who said that. Was it Prince Charles or Prince Philip? Which one of the two of them? It's pretty much one of the two of them, right? Right? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? You know it was probably Prince Philip, don't you? And he's no longer here. They vilified Meghan Markle. They drove her out of the country. Drove. Obviously drove. God, I can't believe I forgot his name for a second. Prince Harry out of the country with her. And then all the venom of these racist callers on the BBC. Oh, she's going to steal him away. These white women and white men. Oh, she's going to steal him away from her. I mean, it's the whole freaking country, stupid. The whole country's like this, mate. And again, I don't want to hear about not all anything. Because it's still here. The problem is still here and the racists are still here. Not all. Not all. That's the new buzzword now. It's like both sides. Not all. This ain't about you. And that's my point. I I am not going to be centering white people here. And like I said, I'm not here to make people feel comfortable at all. I don't care who you are, black, white, anybody. Heck, I'm not comfortable with what's going on in this world. And I know you're not either, dear listener. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I think that's a safe bet. If you were comfortable, you wouldn't be listening to it. So I ask you, what has brought you to this podcast. But at the risk of sounding like a self-indulgent twerp. <laughs> I do want to get back to that. Meghan Markle was attacked all over the place. By those same newspapers. Daily, Daily uh, Express. Telegraph and Mail. Right wing rags. And those callers. Were all, they, these weren't 20 year olds. These weren't 20 year old white people. Call. These are 50, 60, 70 year old, 70 year old white women and men calling up. Mostly the women though. Because, you know, jealousy, envy, racism. Ooh, that black woman. Ooh, she must be really doing something for him. And you know me, I can't measure up to that. And so they say all these proxy words for black or the word N, right? All the proxy words for N. Oh, she's an American. She's this. She's that. She spent all this money on this. And then Kate Middleton does the same exact thing. And it's praised. Oh, Kate Middleton. Her shit doesn't stink. This is what happened. I'm not making any of this up. This is how they treat the two of them. One of them gets treated like a princess. The other one gets treated like a pauper and an N. That is that. That's the truth of the English press and a lot of white Englanders who call up these talk shows. They're Brexit nutcase foolery in full gear, top gear. Oh, Brexit. Oh. Ah uh, yeah, get rid of her. Get rid of Meghan Markle. Ooh. Get the immigrants out. Ooh. 
Yeah, we voted to leave 17.4 million. And they don't know what they're talking about. And Brexit stinks. Stinks rotten. Just like the racism in the country itself. This wasn't just some fools and idiots and racists. In fact, they're not fools. They're stone-cold racists and killers and murderers on Twitter and all these places posting death threats against black players and black people at large. It's not just the folks on Twitter and all these social media platforms and these social media managers and these CEOs who don't do jack, jack. I told you, if you're looking for a safe space and you don't own it, don't expect a safe space. Heck, I'm all on board with the idea that we should have social media that does more. And I want them to do more. But we don't own it. We don't control Twitter. So we need our own platforms. And there's a brother named Isaac Hayes III. Yes, he is the son of the legendary Isaac Hayes. He has a very important app called Fanbase. Social media app. Hop on his social media network. We can do that. Why not? He controls it. Safer space. As a black man, I think it would be a safer space. But when you don't own the spaces that you convene in, you can't expect a safe space. It's a brutal truth. I would love to think we could have that. I want that. doesn't mean I don't want it. But the truth is, you can't expect that to happen when you don't own it. It can be revoked at any time from you. So, when you think about all these callers, it wasn't just the people on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. It's these callers on these radio stations. Morning, noon, and night, LBC, Radio 1, Radio 2, whatever the channel. Radio 4, whatever the, you know, BBC London. BBC Radio London. I mean, all the, and all the venom I heard in 2020, in February of 2020, when Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle announced, Duchess Markle announced that they were going to suspend, they were going to end their royal duties, and the anger and the racism dripping from the lips and the mouths and the saliva of the white callers. One by one after one after one, you could hear him cheek by jowl condemning Meghan Markle. Oh, I wonder why. Kate Middleton, she did this, she did that, she did the other, and they love Kate. But Meghan, 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 oh God, she's so bad. Oh God, she's going to steal him away. She's going to turn him black. I mean, that's what I was waiting for them to say. I was freaking waiting for these callers, these white callers, to say that about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh my gosh, she's going to turn him black. Wouldn't have surprised me at all if I had heard that. You do have to understand that this mindset is ingrained in England. Enoch Powell from the 1960s. Go and look up Enoch, E-N-O-C-H, Powell, second name, P-O-W-E-L-L. This has been ingrained forever. He is from the 1960s. And into the 70s too, by the way. He's from Wolverhampton. 
and the kinds of election phrases that the Conservative Party was using about black people back then. If you want an end for a neighbor, vote Labour. Really? Oh, yes, really. That was openly said. No blacks, no dogs, no Irish allowed. Openly said. Same thing in the attacks on Jewish people. Openly said. No, it's all there. I'm not making this up. I lived through this. Kidding me? England has never confronted itself on racism, on its enslavement of black people, on the triangular enslavement trade. Never, ever, ever. And as long as England fails to do so willfully, deliberately, you're going to keep seeing what you're seeing. The denial Oh, England is not an institutionally racist country. The deflection. Oh, well, not all white people. The contradictions. Oh, I'm Boris Johnson and I'm so disappointed in the racists. Even though I write a column at the Daily Telegraph where I said the word pickaninnies a million times about black people. And all these other racist things I wrote and wrote these Islamophobic things and these sexist and misogynist things in the Daily Telegraph. Oh, but I'm so sorry about this racism. How dare those racists do that? You know, no self-awareness, hypocrisy all the way through. And that's England in a nutshell. And I like England in a great many respects, but I do not like this. Who does? Yeah. There's a market for the people who do. And it's burgeoning. And right now, it's never ending. It always has been. So what are you going to do about it? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. The fact that in a hundred years, finally, uh, through whatever the causes have been in history, and most of them have been because of oppression, the Negro people have uh, strongly and fully taken the bit in their teeth. They're asking absolutely no quarter from anyone. But I do say that the bulk of the interpretation of whether this thing is going to end successfully and joyously or is going to end disastrously lays very heavily with the white community, it lays very heavily with the profiteers, it lays very heavily with the vested interests, it lays very heavily with a great middle stream in this country of people who have refused to commit themselves or even have the slightest knowledge that these things have been going on.